When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. Pitchers and catchers have reported to Major League Baseball spring training, with full squads reporting in a few days. If anyone out there is looking for a baseball team to root for, now's the time to jump on the Baltimore Orioles bandwagon. I just got a new cap last week to prepare for the upcoming season. And of course... They know what baseball is in the Star Wars galaxy. If you remember from the first Dark Forces story, Soldier for the Empire, our hero Kyle Katarn picked up and threw a, quote, baseball-sized rock, unquote. It's still my favorite little fun real-world reference in Star Wars. But you don't care about any of that. You're here to talk with me about today's book. Clone Wars Gambit, Stealth, by Karen Miller. It's a story of spying and subterfuge, as the Republic seems to be losing control of the war. Anakin and Obi-Wan go undercover on a far-rim world, investigating a potential biological weapon, one that could wipe out billions. And we'll get to that story in just a few minutes. But first, it's listener question time. I have two emails today. The first is from listener Jonah. Jonah says, Mace Windu has always been my favorite character, and I wanted to know, how realistic is it that he survived the fall? How realistic is it that he survived to the end of the Empire? And if Disney decides to bring him back, how do you think they should go about doing it? Thank you so much, and keep up the awesome work. Well, thank you very much for the email, Jonah. And thank you for the kind words. I'm also a big fan of Mace Windu, and I would love to have more stories focusing on him. But, to answer your questions, I don't think it's very realistic that Mace survived being thrown out the window by Palpatine. Narratively, attacking Mace and stopping him from killing Palpatine was the final tipping point for Anakin to fully embrace the dark side. Now for me... And I want to stress this. This is only for me. If Mace had survived the fall and lived through the rise and rule of the Empire, and then through the rebellion itself, it would lessen that moment for Anakin. But let's brainstorm your last question, Jonah. If Disney was to bring him back, how should they do it? I still want a show that focuses on a Jedi Master and their Padawan traveling the galaxy, helping people. Why not use Mace? Either him as a Padawan to Jedi Master Sislin Mir, or 
as the master to his Padawan, Depa Balaba. Make it an Adventure of the Week style show. And maybe we could see what happened to push Mace very close to falling to the dark side of the Force, turning his lightsaber purple. Thank you very much for the email, Jonah. Today's second email comes from listener Waylon, who wrote a very nice message with a lot of questions. So, it's time for a speed round. Question one. What was the first Star Wars Legends book that you read besides the Heir to the Empire trilogy? Well, that would be Han Solo at Star's End by Brian Daly. Two. Have you ever thought about doing a Canon Lounge podcast to share the Canon books as well? Yes, I have thought of it. I might do that when I'm finished with the Legends books, but I haven't decided yet. Three. Is the Lost City of the Jedi Legends or Canon? It's a Legends book, but it's part of a young reader series of books that doesn't really fit into the Legends timeline either. Four. What is the Yuzhan Vong? Well, the Yuzhan Vong is an alien species that serve as the antagonists in the New Jedi Order series. And all of you listeners are going to hear more about the Yuzhan Vong as 2023 goes along. Next, when was Ben Solo born? According to Wikipedia, he was born in 5 ABY on the planet Chandrilla. Is Ben the youngest of the Solo family? Yes. Do you know anything about Darth Talon? Not much. I know that she was a Twi'lek Sith from the Star Wars Legacy comics in Legends that focus on Cade Skywalker, one of Luke's descendants. But I've never read any of the comics, so I can't really tell you much more than that. Do you record at your house or do you go somewhere like a studio? I record at home, mostly either at the kitchen table or in the basement. And finally, can you read Dark Force Rising and The Last Command without reading Heir to the Empire and still understand what's going on? I think you can get the gist of it. Some people can probably understand it better than others. But for me, that would be really difficult. I would definitely suggest reading Heir to the Empire first. Thanks for the questions, Waylon. Now, listener, if you want to be really cool like Jonah and Waylon, feel free to contact the show. Send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And if you'd like to get your voice on the show, just record a short message and email it in. And I've got one of those coming up at the end of the show. A wonderful message from Mo, Emerson, and Pedro. Stay tuned for that. But for now, it's time to look at today's book, Clone Wars Gambit, Stealth, by Karen Miller. Grab yourself a drink. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins in the space around the planet Cothlis. Separatist forces led by General Grievous are threatening to wipe out the Bothan population. Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker prepare their defense, but they find themselves deaf and blind, as the Separatists have infected the Republic forces with a computer virus, shutting down their communications. Originally, Admiral Wolf Yularen advises caution 
to wait for the Republic to try and fix the communication issue. But the two Jedi generals say they need to deploy now. The Bothans can't afford for the Republic to wait. Reluctantly, Admiral Yalaren agrees. Obi-Wan's plan involves a two-pronged attack. Anakin and Republic starfighters will attack the Separatist fleet, clearing a path for Obi-Wan and Anakin's Padawan, Ahsoka Tano, to land ground troops into the capital. Obi-Wan plans to lead an attack on the communications center, while Ahsoka and Captain Rex attack the capital complex itself. Anakin and the Starfighters launch, but the communications issues hamper their effectiveness. Anakin initially suffers heavy losses, losing more than a dozen clone pilots. But the Republic Starfighters are eventually able to bust a hole in the Separatist blockade, allowing Obi-Wan, Anakin, and their ground forces to land on the surface. Now the fighting is fierce and costly. Ahsoka and Captain Rex lead their troops against the capital city complex. Eventually, the Republic forces overwhelm the droid army, but they sustain heavy casualties. Ahsoka suffers some broken ribs, and Captain Rex sustains more serious injuries. Meanwhile, at the communications center, Obi-Wan's troops are in trouble. The droids are winning, and they're surrounding Obi-Wan and the remaining clone forces, squeezing them tighter and tighter. Just as the situation seems hopeless, Obi-Wan's comlink beeps. It's Admiral Yularen. The Republic fleet has re-established short-distance communications. Obi-Wan calls Ahsoka for help, and the Padawan responds, flying across the city in a droid single-troop aerial platform and flanking the droid army attacking Obi-Wan. Ahsoka's help pushes the droids back, but they still outnumber Republic forces. Suddenly, Obi-Wan's comlink beeps again. This time it's Anakin. The Republic fleet has broken the Separatist blockade. General Grievous is fleeing. Now, Anakin leads the remaining Republic starfighters down into the atmosphere to help Obi-Wan and Ahsoka. The Republic wipes out the rest of the droid army, saving the Bothan people. Following the battle, Ahsoka, Captain Rex, and the wounded clone troops are sent to the Republic medical facility at Kalida Shoals on Camino to convalesce, while Anakin and Obi-Wan are ordered back to the Jedi Temple. On Coruscant, Senator Bail Organa is worried. As the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Bail has learned that the Separatists have taken control of an Outer Rim planet called Lantib, an insignificant planet with no strategic value and relatively few natural resources. Still, Bail can't shake the feeling that the Separatists conquered the planet for a reason, so he calls Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Senator Padme Amidala to his apartment for a meeting to try and figure out why Lantib would be important to the Separatists. Bail and Padme say that a mineral called Damotite is mined there, but it only has a few industrial uses. Their brainstorming hits a snag when Anakin receives a communication from Kamino. It's Ahsoka. Anakin asked her to see if the Kaminoans had any record about the planet Lantib, and Ahsoka found one, a genetically coded antidote for Damotite poisoning 
That's it, Obi-Wan says. Count Dooku must be trying to engineer a biological weapon that can be used against the Republic. He and Anakin take the information to Master Yoda. The Jedi Master agrees with Obi-Wan's suspicions, but with Republic forces spread so thin, Yoda cannot order an attack on Lanteeb without proof. He orders Obi-Wan and Anakin to get them that proof, to sneak into Lanteeb and to find out what's really going on there. Obi-Wan and Anakin travel to Lanteeb in disguise, pretending to be laborers who have been working on Alderaan for the last three years and are returning home to visit their family. When they arrive on the planet, they find the Separatists keeping the population in a state of terror. Curfews, biological trackers, and forced labor camps surround the planet's capital. The Separatists try to stop them as they walk down the street and threaten to arrest them when Obi-Wan uses a Jedi mind trick to help talk their way out of the situation. Anakin finds a computer terminal where they're able to locate a map of the city and discover a military compound that has been recently built and is drawing a tremendous amount of power. If the Separatists are developing a weapon, Obi-Wan says, it must be at that compound. They decide to wait until darkness before trying to sneak in. Meanwhile, Ahsoka is released from the medical facility and returns to Coruscant. She wants to know what happened to her master, but Yoda orders her to take it easy, to rest and meditate at the Jedi Temple. While Ahsoka practices with her lightsaber, she meets one of Obi-Wan's friends, Jedi Master Taria Damson. Taria is a bit of a maverick in the Jedi Order. She refused to be commissioned as a general in the Republic military, choosing instead to remain at the temple to help teach Force-sensitive younglings. Ahsoka and Taria form a quick friendship, sparring with their lightsabers and eating their meals together. Still, Ahsoka is starting to go a little stir-crazy, waiting to hear from Anakin. Don't worry, Taria tells her. Anakin is with Obi-Wan. How much trouble could they really get into? The answer, of course, is a lot. Under the cover of Nightfall, Anakin and Obi-Wan infiltrate into the Separatist compound and sneak into the air ventilation system. They crawl through the vents, searching for anything that looks like a laboratory, and find it on the second floor. The two prepare to drop down out of the ceiling when they hear shouting coming from down below. They look through the vents and see Separatist General Locke Durd threatening a scientist. The woman's name is Dr. Bantina Fernan one of the galaxy's foremost scientific minds. General Durd orders Dr. Fernan to hurry up. Count Dooku is growing impatient. He wants his weapon. Durd throws Dr. Fernan to the ground and kicks her repeatedly, telling her that if she doesn't finish her work soon, he'll order his assassins to kill her friends and family. Reluctantly, Dr. Fernan says she's almost finished and promises that the weapon will be ready soon. When General Durd leaves, the Jedi drop down out of the ceiling and land in front of Dr. Fernan, surprising her. She asks if the Republic is there to rescue her and save her loved ones. But, unfortunately, Obi-Wan says they didn't even know that Dr. Fernan was here. 
They're only here investigating the possibility that the separatists are developing a new weapon to use against the Republic. Yes, says Dr. Fernan, and I'm the one making it. Dr. Fernand tells the Jedi about the weapon, one designed to kill more than 90% of those infected. It's devastating, she says. It could wipe out entire planets. Obi-Wan asks why she's doing this, when Dr. Fernand says she's working under duress. General Durd has his agents following her friends and family and says he'll order them to kill her loved ones if she refuses him. Obi-Wan orders Dr. Fernand to delay her work until he can contact the Republic and organize an attack on Lanteeb. But Dr. Fernand says that won't work. General Durd wants the weapon now. Still, she'll make them a deal. She'll delay General Durd as long as she can, if the Jedi can get her loved ones to safety. Obi-Wan is reluctant to agree with the offer, but Anakin jumps in and promises to contact the Jedi Temple and says they'll save her friends and family. Anakin asks her to hold out for three days. If Dr. Fernand can do that, they'll rescue her loved ones and get her to safety. Obi-Wan and Anakin return to the city and sneak into an abandoned electronics shop. Anakin uses the equipment they find there to enhance the signal from Obi-Wan's communicator, allowing them to get a signal all the way back to Coruscant. Obi-Wan tells Master Yoda about the bioweapon, Dr. Fernan, and General Durd holding her hostage. He says they've promised to save Dr. Fernan's loved ones in exchange for her help sabotaging the bioweapon. Obi-Wan says they have three days. Until then, he and Anakin will stay there in the shop, waiting to hear back from Yoda. Following the discussion with Obi-Wan, Yoda sends for Taria and Ahsoka and orders them to Dr. Fernand's home planet, Corellia, to save her mother. Traveling in disguise, the two track Mata Fernand to a market. Trailing Mata from a short distance, Taria and Ahsoka feel a warning in the Force. A dark presence is also in the crowd, and they soon find him, an Anzati assassin. Quickly, the Jedi grab Mata and escort her out of the market, but they're unable to avoid the assassin. The Anzati attack them as they arrive at their speeder. Taria shoves Mata down between the seats. Then she and Ahsoka ignite their lightsabers and leap into action. The two advance, but the assassin is good, firing with a pair of concussion grenade launchers, forcing the Jedi back to the speeder. Taria sends Ahsoka a message through the Force. Instantly understanding, the Padawan moves forward, drawing the Anzati's attention. Ahsoka swings her lightsaber in a whirl, confusing the assassin. Quickly, Taria takes advantage of the moment, leaping at the Anzati. She uses the force to yank the grenade launchers from his hands, then flips the assassin, dropping him to the ground, knocking him unconscious. Back on Lanteeb, General Durd storms into Dr. Fernand's cell. The general says he knows the doctor is talking to someone. She denies it, but the general says she's lying. His droids have found a communicator in her room. Again, Dr. Fernand denies the general's accusation, but he's fed up and calls one of his agents to eliminate 
one of the doctor's friends. Dr. Fernand is frantic, begging the general, please don't hurt anyone. But it's too late. The general shows her a live hollow feed from one of his assassins. There's no sound, but the video is horrifying. It shows one of Dr. Fernand's best friends playing with his children when a bright red blotch appears on his shirt. The man looks down in shock, grabbing his chest, then falls to the ground, dead. General Durd turns off the hollow feed and tells the doctor that if she doesn't tell him who she's been in contact with, her mother will be next. Utterly defeated, the doctor whispers, It's the Jedi, betraying Obi-Wan and Anakin. She says the Jedi planned to return that night to try and rescue her. Anakin and Obi-Wan leave the electronics shop as night falls. They take the same route that they used before to try to sneak in. But just as they breach the compound, Obi-Wan gets a warning in the Force. Something's not right. He and Anakin are in danger. They stop to get their bearings when floodlights suddenly come on. Obi-Wan looks around to find he and Anakin surrounded by battle droids. General Durd orders the droids to fire, trapping the Jedi in a barrage of laser bolts. The situation is grim when Anakin spots a speeder nearby. He tells Obi-Wan to cover him while he starts the speeder. Together, they escape death by zooming out of the compound, hoping to find a place to hide in one of the small villages in the Lanteeb wilderness. Time for a break. When we return, I'll talk more about Clone Wars Gambit, Stealth. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But let me take a moment and recommend a book from Star Wars Canon. Aftermath is the beginning of the story following the Battle of Endor. The Empire's in disarray. Now its remaining leaders meet on a distant world to plan a counterattack. How will the Rebellion handle the lingering Imperial threat while trying to start a new Republic? That's Aftermath by Chuck Wendig the first book in the Aftermath Trilogy. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today I'm talking about Clone Wars Gambit, Stealth, by Karen Miller. I really enjoyed this book. It's the first book in a two-book series, The second book is called Clone Wars Gambit Siege, and I'm really looking forward to reading that book for the next podcast. This is the first time I've read this story, and it really surprised me. You guys know I'm not the biggest prequel era fans out there, but I have to admit, I enjoy stories that take place during the Clone Wars time, between episodes two and three. Even though this book is Legends, It reads like a story that could take place during the Clone Wars animated show. Like this would be one of those two to four episode arcs. Stealth, this first book, being 
the first or the first two episodes. And I'm going to assume Siege could have been the end of the arc. This makes two stories that I've read from the author, Karen Miller. The first was way back during the first season of the podcast when I read The Clone Wars Wild Space for the first time. I'm really digging the way Karen Miller writes. It moves quickly, which is something that I like, but her writing really nails some of the characters. You know, a lot of these legend stories, the characterizations just seem off slightly to me, especially Luke and Leia. I think when you read a lot of the legend stories, particularly the ones that take place in the 90s, the authors didn't get Luke and Leia's characterizations exactly right, based upon what had come before in the original trilogy movies. But I will say, Karen Miller seems to get Obi-Wan and Anakin. My favorite parts of this story are their interactions, their constant bickering, their constant teasing, but you can tell they really respect each other. They love each other, not only as master and apprentice, but like big brother and little brother. It's similar to their interactions in Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, and in the Clone Wars animated series. Anakin can be impetuous. Anakin can be reckless. Obi-Wan is sarcastic. Obi-Wan is funny. Obi-Wan can be a bit bedraggled when it comes to Anakin. He always seems like he really wants Anakin to succeed. We know he does. But there is something about Anakin that always makes Obi-Wan shake his head. That if he can just do better, if he can somehow get it through Anakin's head, that the passion, that the emotion, that the attachments Anakin makes to other people can be a detriment to his work as a Jedi, then Anakin may unlock whatever it is he needs to do to embody the prophecy of the Chosen One and bring balance to the Force. There are a number of discussions they have in this book about Shmi, about Anakin's attachment to his mother. There are several times where it seems like Obi-Wan is right there at the cusp of asking the question that Anakin needs to confront, but he pulls himself back. And you get some of Obi-Wan's inner dialogue saying, I should have asked. I should have offered some bit of advice that would allow Anakin to open up, that would allow Anakin to free himself of the burdens that he's carrying. Those are my favorite parts of this book. I hope they continue in siege. 
on the flip side, you have Anakin's point of view, where Anakin believes Obi-Wan really does want him to succeed, but for some reason, Obi-Wan is holding him back from being the hero that the galaxy needs. And of course, underlying all this is that Anakin is living a lie, that he and Padme are together, even though he tells Obi-Wan and the rest of the Jedi that the feelings he had for Padme upon their reunion in Attack of the Clones are gone. He no longer looks at Padme that way. Of course, we the audience know differently. They're living a secret life. And it's eating a hole in Anakin's heart. And the way Obi-Wan and Anakin have these conversations, where you have the discussion on the surface, and then the discussion underneath the surface, is fascinating. To me, it really is the best part of this story. Now, there are other really good parts of this story. You have Ahsoka's interactions with Jedi Master Taria Damson. We learn that Taria was a friend of Obi-Wan. They may have had some sort of relationship in the past when they were younger. But Obi-Wan and the rest of the adult Jedi look at Taria with a little bit of sadness, with a little bit of pity. Because she's tired all the time. She's a very jovial spirit. She's always upbeat. But she seems tired. Ahsoka sees this on their mission to Corellia. When they rescue Dr. Fernand's mother, Mata. After the two defeat the Azadi assassin, Ahsoka looks up and sees... Taria's nose bleeding. On their way back to Coruscant, Ahsoka wants to ask if something is wrong. And Taria can feel Ahsoka's consternation. Finally, she opens up and tells the Padawan that she's been diagnosed with an incurable disease called Baratavi syndrome. She's tried to get treatment for it, but there is no cure. It's terminal. She's been using the force to hold it at bay, but she's getting weaker and weaker. However, even though she knows that her life will end shortly, she's bound and determined to live the last little bit of her life in her own way. She's not going to be involved in the war between the Republic and the Separatists. She's going to take all of her energy to help the galaxy, to help train the next generation of Jedi, to go on missions like the one that she and Ahsoka just accomplished, rescuing Dr. Fernand's mother. It'll be interesting to see in the next book how 
Ahsoka and Taria's relationship continues now that Taria's secret is out there. Of course, a big part of the second book is going to have to be the resolution of Dr. Fernand's bioweapon. Hopefully the Jedi are able to stop it. I assume they will, considering we know the story going along. But the question is, how will it happen? And whether Obi-Wan and Anakin are able to rescue Dr. Fernand and defeat General Durd. I'm really looking forward to it. Now, it's time to wrap up. But before I go, I received a couple favorite Star Wars character groups. The first comes from Kevin, who sent in his ideal dive ball team. Kevin's Force user is Asajj Ventress. His non-Force user is Fennec Shand. K2SO is his droid. Their ship, the Ebon Hawk. And Kevin's wildcard is Cad Bane. Excellent team, Kevin, especially using Asajj Ventress and Fennec Shand, two characters that almost always end up on top. The second character squad I received comes from Mo, Emerson, and Pedro in Minneapolis, Minnesota, who sent in an audio file with a very nice message and their favorite Starfighter Squadron. Let's listen in. Hi, Aaron. This is Mo. And Emerson. I'm Pedro. And we just finished listening to all the episodes of your podcast, and we wanted to say thank you because we really love the show. Do you want to say anything? Yeah. And I, I love how you talk about the characters and explain how you, how you think about them. Do you want to say anything? Thank you, Aaron. And uh, we were just really, or I was really blown away that uh, they both, the, both my boys really loved the show because they're five and seven and they were still hooked listening to it. So um, that was impressive. We also have a squad that we want to share. Um, Emmy, do you want to say what's our squad's name? It's Kyber Squad. Okay. And who's our squad leader? Hera Sindula. And who else is in first flight? First flight. Hera's wingman, Obi-Wan. And who else? Then Poe, and then Jarn. Okay, so then who's Kyber for second flight leader? Luke Skywalker. And who else is in the Han, Han and Chewie in the Falcon. Okay. Who else? Keep going. Ray Palpatine Skywalker. And Kyber 8? Kyber 8, Kylo Ren. Okay. And what about third flight? Third flight leader, Wedge and Tellies. Wedge's wingman, Sabine Wren. And the Bad Batch. So the Bad Batch would be Kyber 11. 11. And Kyber 12. Anakin Skywalker. And that's Kyber Squad. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, tremendous. Emerson, Pedro, you did it. You two picked the best squadron I've ever heard. Kyber Squad is amazing. I mean, you have the best pilots in the galaxy with Luke, Anakin, Ray, Poe, Wedge, and Han and Chewie. Then you have Obi-Wan, Kylo Ren, Din Djarin, 
Sabine ran and the entire Bad Batch for ground missions? With ace, pilot, and new Republic general Harris Syndulla leading the charge? Amazing! I don't know how any bad guy could ever defeat them. Thank you so, so much for sharing Kyber Squad with me. What a wonderful way to wrap up today's show. Thank you, Mo, Emerson, and thank you, Pedro. Now, listener, if you have a question or comment for the show, or if you want to send in your favorite Star Wars character groupings, you can email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send a tweet at legendslounge1. Or if you want to send in an audio message like Mo, Emerson, and Pedro, feel free to email that in too. But please remember, record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. Coming up on the next episode, I'll finish this story arc with Clone Wars Gambit Siege by Karen Miller. Join me again for that on March 3rd. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.